I remember my first internship, I was the only one. I was the only black woman. I was the only me. So I took a year off. My mom didn't know <laughs> at the time. <laughs> I got my work permit from the government and I immediately went to Dillard's to apply to be at the beauty counter. I can speak for black women and if anything, beauty is culture for us. My grandmother would say, Omale Chamwa. Omale Chamwa in my culture means beautiful one. People think I'm a fashionista, but compared to my mom, I'm plain Jane. That whole weekend, for three days, my phone nonstop, ding, 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 ding. It was like raining orders. I called my mom after, and I remember her saying, God bless Beyonce. <laughs> it's a space for beauty reimagined for black women. I'm an immigrant. I'm a black woman. The odds are stacked against me. Just bet on yourself. What's the worst that could happen? Stand in your truth and the world will make room for you. Hey, what's up on Foundation? Dan Kihanya here. Thanks so much for checking out another episode of Founders Unfound. That was Ezene Iroanya, founder and CEO of Skin Muse, the premium beauty brand dedicated to elevating the beauty experience for the modern black woman. Ezene was born and raised in Nigeria. After graduating from high school at 15 and acing her SATs, she came to the U.S. for college. She thought she was going to be a petroleum engineer, but lucky for the rest of us, that didn't happen. Azanae never forgot the joy she found in the soothing remedies her mom and grandmother prepared for her dry skin. She's paying it forward now with her luxurious balms, oils, and body butters. For Azanae, beauty is culture, and she's on a mission to make the beauty counter reflect more inclusively. Azanae has a great story. You'll want to listen in. Our episode is sponsored by Afroblocks, the global pan-African freelance marketplace and collaboration platform a great resource for devs, designers, and virtual assistants. Check out the link in the show notes. And please make sure to like and subscribe the podcast. We're available anywhere you get your podcasts, even YouTube. And if you like what you hear, drop us a five-star review on Apple or Podchaser.com and make sure to tell your friends about us. Now, on with the episode. Stay safe and hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Founders Unfound, spotlighting the best startups you don't know yet. We bring you stories of exceptional founders from underrepresented and underestimated backgrounds. This is the latest episode in our continuing series on founders of African descent. I'm your host, Dan Kihanya. Let's get on it. Today, we have Azene Iroanya, founder and CEO of Skin Muse, the premium beauty brand dedicated to elevating the beauty experience for the modern black woman. Welcome to the show, Azene. We're super excited to have you on. Thanks for making the time. Hi, Dan. Thank you so much for having me. And you did amazing pronouncing my name. So I was going to, I want to acknowledge that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very conscious of it. I have African heritage too. And so I try hard. So let's start off, help the listeners understand exactly what, what is Skin Muse. Oh, thank you, Dan. Just like you had said, Skin Muse is a premium beauty brand dedicated to elevating the beauty experience for Black women. So we use the cultural practices of women in West Africa to create experiences and formulas of rich textures of creams and oils that give you your highest form of self-care. We intentionally use ingredients like shea butter and cocoa butter, things that you might not find in the luxury beauty space, but are mainly used by women like myself all the time. So when we are making any formula, we are making a new product, we think 
about this woman intentionally. We think about her mannerisms, her way of life, what she would prefer in her products. And we use that information to create our formulation and create our experiences. An example is our 16 ounce body butter, for instance, comes with a golden spoon because black women love their nails. We don't like to put our nails in products like that and you get stuck underneath. So they come with a spoon because we know you need that. Our large candle sizes come with free free matchboxes. Even the bags are reusable. We're a very eco-friendly um, brand. We reuse all our packaging. That's why sometimes you might see a brown packaging. We might see a white one. We don't throw anything away. We have a refill policy. So when you, if you're in LA and you, you actually bring, you, we have a text line. You text the number refill due. And someone is out there, <laughs> we schedule a time to come and do your refill at your home because it's part of the whole prestige premium beauty experience. If you're not in LA and you ship us back five empties, we actually send you a free product. Something wow. that I love the most about the Skimmies brand is we actually currently, we don't talk about this enough, but we need to, but we actually also sponsor therapy sessions for black kids. We do it through a black owned private practice. She's a woman in Philly called Dr. Uche Kuku. She's an amazing child psychologist, child therapist, and she prides herself in, in other ways of form of therapy before medication. So for the past year, we've been, we've been sustained. Every month we donate to the fund. There's a skim use fund that we, we sustain, and she uses that to make sure kids have free therapy sessions as they need it or discounted therapy sessions, whatever they prefer. I love it. And yeah, you have like the the 20 year journey of a company compressed into just a couple of years. There's all these things you're doing. And we're going to hear more about that. But let us start first by hearing a little bit more about who you are and where you grew up. So I'm originally born and raised in Nigeria. I'm from Nigeria. Lagos, Nigeria is where I was raised, but I was born in Delta State. And my tribe is Ubulu. So I'm Igbo. I'm Delta Igbo. We have different types of Delta people. My mom worked in aviation, so I got to travel the world a little bit more. I feel I'm a little bit more traveled than the average Nigerian, I would say. Spent times in Europe, spent time in North America, spent some time in Africa, and kind of like bumped for a couple of years before I graduated high school at 15, actually. I was done with high school at 15. People don't know that. Oh my goodness! Wow. <laughs> yes, that was that was in Nigeria. That was in Nigeria. I actually went to spent half my time at a private Catholic boarding school for three years, and after that, I went to a Turkish school. After that, so I spent the last three years of my of my high school experience around the yeah, in, in the Turkish culture and, and and in the Muslim community as well. They, I was very welcome there, and um, graduated. I did so well that I was able to graduate high school at fifteen. <sighs> And then after graduating at 15, I actually got accepted into college in America at 16. I guess graduating from, at 15, mm-hmm. that's still early mm-hmm. in, in Nigeria, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what, so I guess college felt like the next thing, but like, did you have any sense of maybe I'm young or maybe I want to do something else first? Or like, how did college in America sort of leap to the priority list of what you wanted to if do? If you speak to like the Nigerian community, first, for instance, it's like, for us, Grammys equate to degrees. <laughs> so as many degrees as you can get, as many Grammys you, you have gotten, basically. So it wasn't even a thought to me back then. It wasn't even a thought of like, oh, what else can I do? It was more, this is the track I'm supposed to go on. And this is what's next. I, I'm fortunate enough to be done early. So this is the next stage in my life. I didn't give it a thought, honestly. It was just like, what else? Why not? And... I think I only took 
three months off and I just went straight and I got, I mean, if I got into college, I got accepted into like three different colleges and I'm like, oh, well. You had been to America through the travels yes, with yes, your mom. Yes. So, so you had some sense of, sense of what America was. Now, looking back, <laughs> you know, it's different from visiting than actually living, but I did have some sense of, you know, what to expect. It, w- it wouldn't be too much of, it was a culture shock, but I think I was blessed with experiences to, to navigate here. And so had you thought about what you wanted to do or what you wanted to focus on? Did you have to pick a major right away or did you have some sense of what you wanted to this be? This is so interesting. My major in college, I changed my major three times. So I'm, I'm going to be so honest because <laughs> my, my beginning is so different from my current. I actually got accepted to do petroleum engineering in college. I was that girl. My SAT scores were out of the roof. I can't, I think it was like 1750. That's impressive. (laughs) (laughs) So I I got accepted into the College of Engineering in in all colleges. I was accepted to John Hopkins, University of Oklahoma, and um, UT at the time. That's what I ended up getting into. I actually did it for two years. I did it for two years. I remember my first internship. I was the only one. I was the only Black woman. I was the only me. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, I cannot do this. Because of that? Yes, because of that. Specifically because during my first internship, I was the only one. I was the only one a lot of times, I remember, in that space. And I just thought, it really just... I, I would say there were other reasons. I think, honestly, because I was so smart, I thought I should just be an engineer. I didn't think I had options because as an African, you're either a doctor, engineer, or lawyer. It's just not just our generation is the generation really like breaking those <laughs> those conceptions. But I didn't think I had a choice. And I and I just remember looking around and I'm like, I'm the only one. I just did not want that for myself. I said, I won't, I refuse to break my back in an industry that I'm not even sure I want to really be in. It's different if that's, you know, your life calling. But when it's not really what you feel is your life calling or what you feel passionate about, I was like, I'm not about to go through this for the rest of my life in this industry. And I remember coming back from my internship and I had switched my major to energy management. Didn't like that. I think I did it for a year. (laughs) And after that, yeah, I took a year off because I needed to figure my stuff out. And I was young, you know, so I I had more leeway. So I took a year off. My mom didn't know. <laughs> at the time, <laughs> she didn't know at the time. She was, she did not know. I told her after I took the year off. I took a year off and just kind of did life and and tried to figure out what it was that I wanted to do. And immediately it hit me: advertising. I, I just thought to myself, everybody needs to advertise. <laughs> everybody, this is an yeah. industry that can never really die. Everybody needs to like communicate what they're doing. So how about you go into advertising? And I came back from my year off and I went into advertising. And I loved it. Love, love, loved it. What was the spark moment? I mean, like what was, did did something of your creative side or your aesthetic or that you sort of maybe had been subduing or putting on the back burner with the engineering stuff? Is there something that was like, what made you think that you could switch? Because that's, that's, that's a pretty big difference, I think. Obviously, from the way your career has progressed, it was the right choice. But like, mm-hmm. That seems like a pretty big shift. Like, was there something specific that made you like realize I can do this? Not just that this is really interesting, but like I can do this. One thing I love to do is to understand the consumer. 
I love understanding the consumer. I love understanding how to communicate with them, their preferences, their mannerisms, their methodology, ways of life. And while I was working, my first job, by the way, through all this was when I remember I got my work permit from the government and I immediately went to Dillard's to apply to be at the beauty counter. And that was my first job. And I remember thinking how much I loved communicating with the customers and how much I would love to do that on a grander scale. And I've always loved writing. I always loved to write. And I loved writing copy, things like that, to to appease to the audience. And I thought, this is why not advertising. Try it out. Like the last two, if you don't like it, you just you, you change your major. <laughs> I, de- I definitely see a strong sense of confidence here. I don't know that I could have gone to college at 16, much less gone to college in another place that's so far away from home. And obviously you had confidence in your talents and intellect and those kinds of things. But still, you definitely have taken some steps that are that take some sense of confidence and, you know, a little bit of courage. And I think about that Dillard's work in the makeup counter, the beauty counter. I mean, that's like the that's like the boot camp for the advertising, right? It's like, yeah, it I is a boot camp for advertising. <laughs> they respond. Okay, that worked really well or that didn't. They didn't really like the way I said that. So it's it's like real time learning like that whole 10,000 hours. Understanding the different consumers, you know, you can't talk to person A the same way you talk to person B. You have to understand who you're talking to, first of all, before you even start selling anything. So, yeah. That's great. So you moved into advertising, right? And so how did how did that happen? So it was a little bit of a ruckus first personally, in the essence of imagine you already know you have African family members. Imagine your sixteen year old child that already did this really big issue. At that point I was over eighteen, but I came to my mom and said, Oh, you know, this is what I want to do and she's like, What? <laughs> And she, you want to be an advertiser. <laughs> You're going to be poor. <laughs> and I remember, I was like, you know, at that point, I'm like, you know, it is cool if I'm poor now. <laughs> no. But then I'm like, you know, it's it's cool. This is what I really want to do. I think I can succeed, you know, anyways. Like engineering is not for me anyways. I'm going to fail. I already was, you know, when you're not, your heart's not in something, you're not doing well, you know. I was so smart already. I was like, clearly, I, you know, I'm smart, but this is where I want to be. And for the first semester, honestly, she just could not understand. But I'll tell you something. And for any Nigerian or any African child listening, do what you need to do. Because one thing about an African parent, they will adjust. They will be uncomfortable for a while. But when they see that you are committed to a cause they will adjust. If they see that you have your stuff together and you are getting it done, they adjust. So I remember my first semester, I showed her my grades and I got all A's. I loved it. I loved the advertising college, first of all. They were like-minded people. There was one professor, he's dead now, but Professor Kulemeku, he was African and he was there and he took me underneath his wing. You know, I got an internship at Ackerman McQueen, which at that point in time was one of the biggest agencies that one could work at. I got an internship and then I got a job through there. And Owen Kulimikos' name, he helped me prepare for that journey. I would have never even sent that application in if it wasn't for him. And he also spoke to my mom advocating for me, like, look at what she's doing. She's smart. You just have to support her because she's going to do it, but it will be easier if you supported her. That is so powerful right there, right? Because like you said, sometimes parents 
and certainly African parents are in that category of they envision a journey for their kids, right? Or maybe a small subset of journeys, like, you know, like you said, the doc, you can be anything you want as long as it's a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, right? But having sort of like somebody with the stature of, you know, like a professor who can say, no, she's got it. You got to believe it's not just her saying, oh, I'll, I'll dabble with it. She's got it. She's, she's good. A professor who understands too that because not just any professor can come to African parent and say that. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> he knew the protocol and the right way to approach it. And- he 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 was familiar in, in in this rink, so he knew how to come correct representation, and and rep- that's why representation is so key in every space. Because I had someone in Owen that I that if I didn't have in him, I don't think I could have really succeeded the way I did. Honestly, that's amazing. That's a great story. Thanks for sharing that. So you end up going into advertising. How does beauty enter into this? How did beauty and sort of this concept come into your sort of mindset? Okay, first of all, to me, beauty is culture. And I think to almost I can speak for Black women, and if anything, beauty is culture for us. I've always had a very beautiful relationship with beauty. From the essence of as a child, I remember I would walk into a room and my grandmother would say, Omale Chamwa. Omale Chamwa in my culture means beautiful one. Every time I walked into the room, she said that to me. Every time. Imagine you, you know, it reinforces something in your, in, in the back of your head. That's giving me chills just hearing that. I've always had this beautiful relationship with culture. I remember even getting my hair braided, my, my hair braided as a child, Auntie Bola. I call her Auntie Bola. She's still alive and she, I'm like her child. She doesn't have kids. So I am her kid, I would say. Antibola would braid my hair every weekend and we formed a relationship from that one act in beauty. My mom, for instance, she sis had a closet. I'm telling you, one if you want someone who is people think I'm a fashionista, but compared to my mom, I'm plain Jane. She is something. She had all the fragrances. Um, I remember smelling her fragrances and always wanting to smell as nice as she did. I remember how she used to use a different soap for her skin than we did, things like that. So it was always culture for me. So as growing up, I naturally, I used to be a tomboy at a specific phase. I remember when my mom would put makeup on her, I'd laugh at her thinking like, you don't need all that makeup, why you put all that makeup on? That's crazy, I would never do that. (laughs) And I still don't wear as much, but still it's different now. And so as growing up, I just found myself taking those practices of taking time to take care of my skin. I remember my grandmother would sit with me and, and make different concoctions. When I had psoriasis flare-ups and my sister has eczema, my mom would always make the shea butter concoctions for our skin to take care of it. So it was almost like it was so natural for us to always feel our, our best. Even our clothes, thought was put into it when my mom would shop for us, you know, with clothes, our hair, things like that. It was like a it was, it was normal to continuously do these things that make you feel just as good as you felt inside. So when when I moved here, I'm thinking like, I'm gonna take this energy <laughs> and I'm gonna bring that, I'm gonna bring that here. And it wasn't like that at first, you know, I had to kind of reintroduce myself to beauty here. That's how it, it's always there. It wasn't even something like going back to the question, it wasn't something I had to find, it was something that was always there. I just had to refine it, reintroduce myself to it, I would say, when I moved here. And that was where 
the disconnect came about. I would say a disconnect because there was a disconnect for Skin Muse to, for, for me to start Skin Muse. The disconnect birthed Skin Muse. And that disconnect came and I was like, oh, how do I find my footing in this space where, first of all, just give you a, a, you know, I'm in Oklahoma. I'm going to, I'm, I'm an African girl who just came from where everybody looks like her in Oklahoma, navigating this space of such a, it's not as eclectic as, you know, Los Angeles is. It's way different. So I'm navigating this space. I've come from a place where when I walk into the room, somebody's calling me Omalichamwa, beautiful one, into a space of when I walk into the room, I don't know what I'm going to get. <laughs> <laughs> and I've come from a space of there's a hair braider wherever. You know, I have my own hair person that braids my hair. I don't have to worry about, you know, what I'm putting on my skin. There's always something for me to use. And I'm in a space of, oh, you really have to dig deep to find a hair braider. Or maybe there's only one, or you really, you could, the lotion that you're buying from Walmart, because I'm a college student, that's what I could afford at the time, won't keep you moisturized for 24 hours. When you have psoriasis flare up, you might not have grandma or mommy's recipes to help you. You have to figure your way and either do it yourself or go to the doctor and play this absorbent amount of money that you're not used to paying. So it really just threw me off. I will say me working at, my first job was behind the counter, me working at the beauty department store gave me leverage to kind of rediscover for myself how I wanted to relate to beauty in this foreign land. That's great. So we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with Azene Iranya from Skin Muse. You're a visionary founder building the next big thing, but your ever-growing to-do list is slowing you down. Well, lucky for you, getting things done just got easier. Introducing AfriBlocks. AfriBlocks can connect you with the top freelance talent in all of Africa, and they will manage the project for you. We have vetted thousands of software developers, graphic designers, social media managers, and virtual assistants who can help you save time, save money, and build better. Get it done right the first time. Visit AfriBlocks.com and tell us Dan sent you to get 10% off your first job. So we're back. So... Hey, Zine, tell us, how does Skin Muse come about? But tell us tell us a little bit about, like, how did you decide to actually do a company and create a business around this? Thank you. So I thought to myself, I would really love if there was a day that I could walk into a space like a Bloomingdale's or a Nordstrom or a luxury beauty space and see a counter that was an authentic reflection of me, where it's the ingredients are, are familiar to me. You know, clean beauty is something that's in the culture of black women. It's it's a trend now, but it's always been in our culture. If you ask any black woman, I thought to myself, how beautiful would it be if if brands like Fenty weren't just a one-off, you know? Or if I didn't have to go from Dior to the farmer's market and then to this other location where in Crenshaw just to find the things that I needed for myself. I could just, as the black woman that I am, I could walk into these spaces that capitalize off of my culture, capitalize off of, you know, my mannerisms and be catered to authentically. The experience had to be different. I remember working at, I, I don't know if I can say names, but I, I won't call everybody out, but I remember working at a particular space in the luxury beauty industry and there was only one of me. I couldn't even learn how to do makeup from the people teaching me because they just didn't know how. They didn't know that warmer and cool tones, undertones for black women is not the same as it, it is on an Caucasian woman. Or, you know, it's it's different. People can understand what K-beauty is for, but people don't understand for some reason 
K-beauty, for people who are listening and I don't know beauty is Korean beauty. It's called, it's a whole different genre, I would say. They call it K-beauty. That's Korean beauty skincare. People, for some reason, in this industry understand the need for K-beauty, but they don't understand the need for African beauty and, and its aesthetics and why it's necessary. And I just thought that how can we be giving so much to this space and be have so much delivered to us? And I thought it had to change. I, there had to be a change. I remember talking to, my little sister moved here a couple, two years ago, and I remember talking to her before moving here, and I remember her saying things like, they don't even have dark-skinned people. She's, she's beautiful, deep, rich melanin, and she's like, she said that comment, like, that's crazy. Where, where are the darker people here? You know, she would say things like that. And I thought, wow, if my sister, is who doesn't even live here, is noticing these things, imagine the other little girls who don't get to have somebody call them a Malachangwan when they walk into the room or don't get to have the upbringing that I did or the people around them to reassure them how beautiful they are because beauty is culture and if no one is giving you that first intro no one is really taking time out to introduce it to you in, in, in the most healthy way it could really mess up your psyche it could really mess up your mental and with skin news, I want to be at least that safe haven to introduce it to women like myself and children like myself and, and beyond in the most authentic and most beautiful way. So that it does something to you when you know that regardless of what outside is telling you in yourself, you know that I am all that I can be and more. I do deserve these luxurious items and more. And that's really why we started Skin Muse. Um, I say we because it takes a village. But even though it's my idea, people have also invested in it. Blood and sweat, tears. So it, Skin Muse started about because we wanted to have an authentic reflection of, of Black women in the luxury beauty space. It's so interesting because we just had a conversation with somebody who's in the apparel fashion world. And it's a little bit of a similar aspect in that it's, it's almost like it's the products are the tip of the iceberg. The culture, the community, the story, the origins, the sort of sort of essentialness to life that these products represent is so much deeper than just something on the counter you pick up and no offense to people who work on toothpaste, but you know, it's not toothpaste, right? And I think sometimes when people think about beauty products or or other uh, other products in sort of the non-medical but like you know skin area, they think of it like it's toothpaste or or like a bar of soap, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you just, you know, you buy, yeah, you get some favorites, but you, you know, you can also be talked out of it because of cost and, or price. And I really love that you're, you're talking about how, how deeply connected people are to these, the use and the presence of these products in their lives. People forget, people like to minimize the impact of these things and they minimize it because they're not affected by it. But the reality of the situation, these things shape the way we see ourselves. If you talk to, I don't know how many black women you have in your life, but even hair braiding itself is a very sacred act. I have a daughter, so yeah. So I, you know, exactly, you know. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a very sacred act to get your hair braided. The person who even is braiding your hair impacts how you see your hair. If you go to someone who's like, oh, your hair's too tough. Oh, you you know, like, I can't deal with this curl pattern. It starts reinforcing something in you like your hair should not be it's not it's not okay in its natural state you start thinking these things versus if you go to someone like my auntie Bola who was braiding my hair and, and, and just reinforcing 
I think the only thing she would say is, look at your big head filled with curly hair. Like, you know, things like that. I never once, I never would think there was anything wrong with my hair till I moved to America. Things like, you know, so people like to minimize these things or minimize the fact that people, women like myself, when we go into spaces like Walmart, our beauty products are locked away in a, you have to ask somebody to come in and walk it for you, you know? I think they just recently made a pledge to stop doing that, but that was a reality is that you couldn't even get things like that for us without, it would be locked up. So what are you telling the kids when they're seeing that other people can go in and get what they need, but they have to ask for permission for you to unlock something for them to, something as simple as hair cream. Right, right. I mean, it's creating this great divide and, and less than. Subconsciously, yes. So tell us, how do you come up with, I'm not a product person and a recipe person. And obviously you have this heritage of your family and, but how did you come up with the, with the products themselves and the recipes and the, and sort of the perfect balance of like, what should Skin Muse have in it for these butters and oils? This, I love this question because it's one of my, I think it's something I'm very proud of is our formulas. Our formulas are actually hundred percent natural. We only use, we've been able to sustain a standard of being 100% organic. And we source some of our products like the shea butter and cocoa. We source them from West Africa. We also use Moroccan oil, which, you know, you have to get from the Middle East and, and sometimes also from Dubai. Certain fragrances have to be gotten from Dubai. So we, we do that. We've been able to extend a, a standard. A lot of these, because I came from a family where we uphold clean beauty, it was very easy for me to, to know that I could do it. So a lot of these formulas are influenced by my childhood. For instance, our buddy butter is influenced by the mixtures my grandma and mom used to mix for me. Obviously, did I did I change it up a little bit? Yes, <laughs> because it has to be mine at the end of the day. But the reality of it is like, because they showed me how, I knew how to do it, you know? Our Divine Body Oil, which is like one of our best sellers, it's actually named after my sister. Her name is Divine. Her middle name is Divine. I love it. I was wondering if like your grandma's name or yeah. your mom's name, some of this and some names. And I I also see in the future there's a there's a beautiful one using that using that Nigerian term. It's probably a line that comes with that. So a lot of these things it's actually named after my her middle name is Divine. So we it, it when I was making that body oil, I actually had her skin in, in mind. There are certain things that she needs for her skin, like it's it's infused with vitamin E rose hip and and it's laced with egyptian honey that's the 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 soft fragrance that you 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 get from that body oil so it was influenced by me just like my sister and her skin and that's how that body even the color it's like this rich gold hue as well and when it hits the light just looks beautiful it's really all influenced by that beautiful beautiful sister of mine and then our cuticle oil for instance 100 natural is rated top 10 right now in the country that was influenced because a lot of the women in my life, aunties, actually are, are nurses. If you know, like, usually you, that's something that's in the Nigerian culture. And they always complain about how they want, like, moisturized hands or they want, you know, something a little more with their nails, but they can't because of the smell or because of the, their medical field that they're in. So when I was making that cuticle oil, I knew it was very important that we should only use natural ingredients in there. And I knew that the smell had to also be something that soft enough that could make them feel beautiful, but not overpower. So that, that's how that came about. Even our candles as well, they're 100% organic. Everything in there is actually influenced by 
one of my best friends, we moved, we migrated to America together and we worked on that line together. Everything that we do, there's an intention behind it. Every single thing that we do, there's an intention behind it. It's it's influenced by, just as we say beauty is culture, it's influenced by culture. It's influenced by the people around me. I love that. I love that. Your site is amazing. I mean, you know, for such a new company, it's almost like you have the brand presence of somebody who's been around for 50 years. Is that you? Is that somebody in your team? Or like, how did that come about? Because it is really, it's really well done. Okay. I built our website. I am not a web developer. But when you're a company that is starting off, because we've been bootstrapping, things people don't talk about entrepreneurship. You do a lot of things by yourself. You do a, you learn. It's like entrepreneurship is the school that never ends. It's, I tell people I'm in school. That's how I look at it. I'm in school right now because you have to learn so many things. I built that by myself. Obviously my advertising degree helps, a little, helps, but they don't teach you how to do code. So I, I, I did that myself actually. It's, it's really well done. You got many skills there. <laughs> there are many skills. I also want to give credit to our creative um, officer as well. He's now our chief creative officer. He's been with us since day one. A lot of those pictures that you see on that site, even though I built the site, he grabbed that beautiful iPhone of his and took a couple, a lot of every, actually 100% of those shots he took, I believe, on an iPhone. Did the edits and just send them over and I did the rest. Usually... The, the user experience, unless you're doing an app or something, the website is more transactional, right? It's like trying to get you to the product. And yours does an okay job for that too. But as a guy, I don't know what skincare means to me, right? I'm drawn to the site. It's like, I want to I wanna check this out. And, and so I, that's a powerful element that a lot of companies get to later, right? They sort of like, let's just see if people want what we want what we got. And then, so, so it's impressive. For us, and I think for other beauty listeners listening in, it's very important that when you're not in a brick and mortar space, you appeal to the other senses of your consumer. So visually, if you cannot appeal, if your first if your first contact with us cannot be you trying these beautiful looks, oils and butters, that means your first contact with us is whatever we give to you visually. So it's for us as a brand, it's very important that we deliver visually. That's your first contact with us. And, and um, that's something we've tried to do every time <laughs> with what we're doing. That makes a lot of sense. And so you, you started before COVID and obviously went through COVID. Tell us a little bit about like, did you start with trying to sell direct, sell through retail, selling online? Did that change with COVID? I say that we were blessed. And, and I want to acknowledge that COVID was a horrible time for everybody, but I think as a as a new company, the fact that we got to kind of spread our wings during that time put us in a, in an area that it's it's almost like prepared us for like the worst. I would say, knock on wood, <laughs> hopefully nothing else. For, not right now. We can't take it right now. So we had launched November 19, 2019. So that's like right at the end of the year. It was during holiday season. I don't know if that was a good idea or a bad idea. No, I'm not sure. <laughs> but that was when we, we decided to take off. It was so much of a blessing that when we launched, we actually sold 50% of our inventory. So the business for at a really early stage was able to start sustaining itself. Where it's like, I'm not getting paid just yet, but I don't have to dip into my savings account after my, after like my first initial investment. It, it started kind of making money by itself. So we 
focused when we first launched, this is before we knew what a pandemic even was, we were focusing on pop-up shops. We noticed that when we would go to pop-up shops, we would be able to do so well because people got to try it and meet, you know, and hear the brand story. And that we would try to do one a month. That was very helpful. And by the time the pandemic hit, I remember it was like we had one pop-up shop. We didn't know. We thought like, oh, this is going to be two weeks. I was actually working, still working in corporate at the time. And, right. you know, I was like, oh, this is great. We're going to be home. We take a little vacation and it's going to be great. And then when it hit that like, oh, we're going to be in this for a minute. I was blessed. I'm very spiritual. So I don't think anything is just a coincidence. I think that there's an intention behind everything in this world. I was blessed to be accepted in this accelerator called Grid 110. And I owe a lot to that accelerator because through that accelerator, I learned the difference of, I always knew beauty. I knew beauty. I know how to do beauty. It's, it's in my DNA, but I didn't know business. So they were able to teach me the difference between working in your business versus working on your business. They, they did that for me. What was an example of that? For instance, I didn't know, which is so crazy as an advertising <laughs> you know, someone who just let advertising. I didn't know how important it is to take out time to really study your customer's mannerisms. I just thought you were going to keep pushing. I didn't know how important that was. I didn't even know how to build a business plan. I didn't even think I needed one at that stage. I thought I was too early to even start thinking that far into the future. I didn't know what supply chain management was. Things like that. Because of them, I was able to even you know, take my legal resources more. I think, I didn't even think I needed a lawyer, you know? I'm thinking I'm just here, you know, we're just launching softly and through that accelerator, we got accepted in March around the same time, you know, the lockdown started in LA. I was lucky to do it through the pandemic. So I had time to really digest the information they gave me. And then we would have maybe, and because we depended so much on pop-ups, we didn't think that we could really thrive on e-commerce only as a new beauty brand because at beauty you have to like try and sample that's what we've been taught you know so many times people have to keep you people have to try before they commit so we didn't know what we were doing but through good 110 they were like no you have to take a step back this is great what you're doing this is fine but in order for you to have longevity and in order for you to not just be a one-off brand if you want to build something you have to build you can't just keep being in the house you got to come outside to step out your house for a second and look, okay, this part of the house needs to be updated. This part needs to be maintained. Break this down, this, that, that. You got to step out the house. You got to kind of leave the room and see, walk around your house a little bit. And they gave me the tools to walk around the house a little bit. They gave me go here for this legal aid. They gave me build this business plan like this. They gave me, this is how your pitch deck should look. This is why it's important for you to utilize PR. Things like that. I didn't even, I didn't even know that you should really set up a pixel on your website. And they gave me that. But back to your question, we started pop-ups and then through Good 110, we were able to really utilize the visual aesthetics and keep that, I would say keep pushing and being consistent in other avenues. Pivot is the word that we used that season. We were able to pivot because we had people helping us understand the market. That's great. We're going to take another short break and we'll be right back with Azane. Iranya from Skin Muse. You're a visionary founder building the next big thing, but your ever-growing to-do list is slowing you down. Well, lucky for you, getting things done just got easier. Introducing Afriblocks. 
Afriblox can connect you with the top freelance talent in all of Africa, and they will manage the project for you. We have vetted thousands of software developers, graphic designers, social media managers, and virtual assistants who can help you save time, save money, and build better. Get it done right the first time. Visit afriblocks.com and tell us Dan sent you to get 10% off your first job. So we're back with Azane. I want to hear about the Beyonce connection. How did that come about? Because you got featured by Beyonce and that's no trivial thing. Have you not heard the word, that's that phrase that when they say like there's nothing stronger than a Beyonce NDA? <laughs> no, I haven't heard that. <laughs> Obviously, I haven't had I haven't had any interactions with Beyonce and her team and her legal crew. So there is nothing stronger than an NDA under Beyonce NDA. That's just jokes aside. We can totally talk about it. Funny how people always think that I knew that was going to happen before it happened. I found out about that the same time the whole world found out about the Beyonce feature. Really? Yes. People, I think some people think I'm lying to this day, and I, it was so funny because I remember that morning. Somebody, another company had reached out to us for us to partner with them for Juneteenth. And we had been doing really well at that point. And I could tell the team, we were very small. It was me most of the time. And, you know, how like any kind of help, no full-time help. And I remember thinking to myself, we've done so well. We've already met the month's goal. Let's skip out on this. So I told them, sorry, like our plates are full. We can't do this. Like we're tired is what I said. <laughs> the, the morning before Beyonce did, you know, the, I, I, was, I, t- I was turning down opportunities saying that we were tired and we needed to rest. I remember it was a beautiful day. It was Juneteenth. I had gone somewhere in Inglewood to celebrate. I love to celebrate. I love food. So I was bumping between black owned restaurants celebrating. And we were sitting, my, my partner and I, we were sitting on our bed eating oxtails and watching TV. And my phone, you know, if you have the Shopify app, it just keeps going, ding, ding. You know, orders are coming in. I'm thinking, oh, this is cool, you know. And then like 10 at one point came in in the span of like two minutes. And I'm like, hmm, we didn't do anything special for June thing. We don't have like any special promos going on. This is interesting. And they keep coming in. And my partner looks at me and he's like, you should totally ask God for 20 orders. That chuckle. Because I'm like... <laughs> 20 and so he's like do it do it just do it and i'm over there like god just give us 20 orders obviously 20 came in like back to back to back and i'm like okay something is going on like i remember i was looking at him i was like what the hell he's like you know just go with it ask god for 50 i'm like were you thinking it's like a like a like you're getting punked or something like he fixed your phone <laughs> i thought you know because i went on said like i'm like okay these are real people i'm looking at people these are real people so I thought, oh, so maybe some influencer, because we hadn't really started doing influencer marketing, but we've been blessed with like, our product is so good, like word of mouth is a tool that is has blessed us. So I thought somebody somewhere might have done like a review and just posted it or something. And some something, I thought, I thought an influencer, <laughs> literally. So I went on Twitter, I remember, because we're laughing. He's like, pray for 50. I'm like, pause, like something is going on. We need to find out where this traffic is coming from. I went on Twitter. It didn't think for me at that point to just look at the Shopify analytics. I just kind of was like, let me go on Twitter. I went on Twitter and I typed up this tweet that says, whichever influencer is helping us out right now, God bless you. Please reach out to me if you see this tweet. Next thing you know, my friend calls. No, she sends me a text message. Be like, girl, you're on Beyonce's website. I was like, and I'm a Beehive member. 
So I was like, that is a really horrible joke for you to make. That's not nice. You know, she's like, right, no. Right. So she sends me a screenshot and I still think she's messing with me. I'm like, she's like, go on there. If you don't believe me, like, go on there. So I go on there and I see, and I'm just like, ah! like, obviously like I'm a beehive member. I grew up listening to Beyonce. I grew up doing the whole Destiny's Child. I, I grew up admiring this woman and to be on her platform, standing so strongly beside all these other strong brands in beauty, we are not even up to a year. So I'm screaming in in the in you know almost pour my oxtails out. <laughs> you know, I'm like I I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I remember calling the first person I called was Mickey from Grid One Ten because even though we were tired, I knew that preparation had met opportunity at this point in time. Preparation had met opportunity. I knew I knew if anything, I knew that we were prepared at the least for this opportunity. And I was just yelling and screaming and just I couldn't believe it. My partner, he's looking at me, he's he's screaming too, because he knows what this means for, for me, especially. I first of all, first things first, I'm a beehive member. Second things first, Beyonce just blessed our business and, right. and, and all that stuff. So we're I call my mom after and I remember her saying, God bless Beyonce. <laughs> Like God, you know, little hair. She don't hear prayer for Beyonce. <laughs> God bless Beyonce and the orders. When I tell you that that whole weekend for three days, my phone nonstop, ding, 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 ding. It was like raining orders, and it just kept coming in and coming coming in. And at one point, and I don't, I don't know. If this is a good thing for other people to tell people. But I, I just, I like to be honest. At one point, we were actually sold out, but we didn't want to market sold out because we knew that if we had marked that sold out, we would lose out. So we just let we just let the orders come in, and as they're coming in, we're preparing on the back end because we know we're sold out. But people don't need to know that because this is traffic that we don't know when we will ever get. We've never experienced this, so we just let it ride. We we like we're gonna ride this out. So as orders are coming in. We're on the back. One thing we do work with is small businesses. There's something that is very intentional in my heart. As long as we can, we will continue to work with small businesses. And because we were working with small businesses, when we called them and said, hey, Beyonce just called us to the stage, we got to pull up. Every single vendor, because we have that relationship with them, they hustled and bustled. I mean, or they were shipping down, you know, materials that we needed. They were like, expediting processes for us they, they were showing up because they knew that they needed to show up for us and they showed up every single one we even any order that i remember when we thought like okay there was a particular about a hundred orders that we knew that we might not be able to get done in because we have like a five-day processing time we we knew we wouldn't do it. we knew we needed about like 10 days i sent them an email saying hey guys Thank you so much for the order. Because of this, we're going to be on, on the back where your order might take longer. But we will be providing this free product for you. The free products, they got there in time because of the vendors that we worked. They, they just made sure, like, whatever you need at this point to show up so you don't lose out on customers, we're going to ensure. So when the Beyonce thing happened, it could have sunk us. This is one part I like to tell people because people thought it was all good. We could have sunk because we might not have had been able to, had we not been able to show up, people would have seen us as that like incompetent brand. But because we were able to show up, the preparation meant opportunity. It really gave us, I would say, the kiss from Beyonce gave us a step up to really like come in with the be more bold. And I believe from there, that's how we got noticed by Elle magazine. That makes a lot of sense. What I'm sensing though is this, I love that phrase, 
preparation meets opportunity, right? And to build a company's culture around that and your leadership to say, you know that thing we talk about all the time? This is it. This is now. <laughs> this is how we show that we were ready for it, right? <laughs> like, this is it. This is what we show up. This is how we got to show up. So we just, we showed up. We showed It was, till today, it's one of the happiest. If I ever meet Beyonce in person, she's getting a hug and a kiss. And Beyonce, if you hear us, Dan, and me talking right now, girl, slide in my DM, please. <laughs> I can't guarantee that, unfortunately. I, I don't know that she listens to the show. She has, she has eyes everywhere. <laughs> you don't know that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So tell us, what's your sort of big vision for Skin Muse? Like if five or 10 years or whatever it takes to sort of achieve what you want it to achieve, what does that look like for you? For me, that looks like a luxury skincare house that is an authentic reflection of women like myself and women of color. You know, it's a luxury skincare house. I mean, I see you walking into a Skin Muse brick and mortar space and just knowing that your day is just about, you're going to receive your highest form of self-care from the way we speak to you, to the way we recommend things to you, to the other brands that will be housed in this luxury skincare house. It's a space for beauty reimagined for Black women. It's a space where you go in and you don't doubt any interaction or any experience. You know that Oh, this is where I need to be when I want to have, you know, you have those, do you know, you just have those days, Dan, when you're just like, (sighs) and you walk up in that luxury skin, that skin muse store and you just, I mean, it's authentic. You hear, they call you sis when you walk in, they make you feel special, you know, from the touch from point A to point B. We're disrupting it. We know what we're doing. We're disrupting the beauty industry because we are reimagining what beauty is. So the big picture is this luxury skincare house that has, equally amazing or even better you know i always feel like i should you should always welcome better solutions or even better better brands that are just a complete authentic reflection of women like myself that's beautiful you know again it wasn't about you know moving pallets of product or or you know things like that it's about creating an experience sought and i'll let you in on a secret like when i have those days one of the things that really lifts me up is this I love these conversations. And uh, I was telling my friends, like, you know, I need to do something that I hate to do right after these because I'm in such a good mood. I, it's like, oh, I'm just going to go do it anyway, right? So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about fundraising. Yeah, I mean, you're still sort of an early, you know, you're very early in your journey, but how has fundraising happened for, for your company? And, and, and you talked about bootstrapping, but have you tried to raise money from the outside? Are you raising money now? Or how do you view that? I love, love, love this question because one thing I found out about the fundraising world, it is, <laughs> it's like a dating game. It's like, oh my gosh, who's the best one on Tinder? Swipe left or swipe right? <laughs> and the decisions are made that quickly too. You can get swiped left on real quick. By now we were going like, to fundraise and we were going to bring in investors. But something about this business is that we've been blessed so much that we don't need to fundraise right now, for lack of better words. But what we are doing is that we are entertaining conversations with potential investors. We're entertaining conversations in the essence of because we're so blessed that we're not in a rush for money, we're blessed to make decisions without being desperate. So if you know, you're know you an investor wanting to, to talk to us, we're, we will come, we'll have the conversation. We want to know about you. We want to know why you think this is something that 
you're going to benefit from? Or do you believe in what we're building? You know, not just the traction and the trajectory, but do you believe in the mission that we are doing? Yes, clearly money will come from it because it's a business. It's a new business that now we have more employees. We're able to, you know, have more full-time employees work with us. But God forbid cards came crashing down. How confident are how how confident are you in our cause that we will always rise above? We're not desperately looking for money, but we are entertaining conversations. We thought we would need to. I remember earlier this year we were like, oh, we should definitely we need to go out, but we we're we're kept so busy from our current you know business that we don't even have the time to to think about that right now. Our main priority is how can we show best for the customers because they are the reason why we don't even need to fundraise, you know? There's nothing to apologize for there, right? I mean, you're building a sound business that is growing and fundraising is partnership, which you identified, and the finances really are fuel. They're they're like any other resources that when you need them and you need them. And so it's not an automatic that you have to go raise money if your company is doing X, Y, Z. Have you explored how those conversations go? Do you feel any sort of aspect of like being a black woman founder affecting the dynamic in any way? I mean, obviously your product and your service is very intentional in the, you know a community that you reflect, but how does that come through or does it come through at all in, in investor conversations? I would say yes and no, because it's so interesting when we do have these conversations, it was something as small as like my hair, if it's in a fro, if it's in, if it's in braids, I really give it a thought. Or do I need to wear a certain type of wig for this type of investor conversation? It's something that's, it's, it's so small that people don't think about, but it's something that I'm pretty sure other black women think about is how, how can I show up best before the assumptions get applied to me? Because the assumptions will come. I do know that sometimes I walk into a space and people are shocked by the audacity of me. I, I'm very I'm very aware of that. I do know that I walk into the spaces and people are offended by the, my audacity or the way my light shines. And I do know that when I'm walking to certain meetings, I cannot let this audacity shine too much. I have to dial it back. So these are things that I'm finding myself from, I'm having to navigate when I'm in this conversation, these thoughts of, how can I show up without the assumptions striking me down? Because the reality of the situation is that just like this dating game, when I walk in, the odds are stacked against me. I'm an immigrant. I'm a black woman. The odds are stacked against me. My idea coming from me might not be received well the same way it will be received from a white man. And that's just the truth. And it's an unfortunate truth but it is something that I have come to terms with and it makes me, and that's why we're a little bit blessed because we're not so desperate. We're, we have a little flexibility to flex a little bit and look around for whom we think is best for us to partner with. And how I deal with these thoughts of doubt, I think I've been blessed with the ignorance as an African because I came from a space where I didn't have to deal with this. So I know life before this. I know how to, I know how to do life outside of this. So I started remembering what that life is like when I'm having these meetings. And I've started pushing past those, those doubts, I would say. I'm pushing, I know they're there. I'm not, you know, I'm not stupid. I, I know the elephant is in the room. I know that the elephant is large and in charge. But the only thing that I can do is show up as my best and hopefully hoping that 
when that right partnership comes about, it will make sense for everyone, which will help us with the longevity. So now I say I operate with an ignorance. I do it intentionally. I'm seeing the signs. I'm catching the signs. I see it when it comes my way. But I also operate with the ignorance of there is nothing that I'm incapable of achieving as far as I know that. I might not be able to get to it as fast as Matthew down the block, but I know I'm going to get there and I will get there without sabotaging the beauty of me or the authenticity of my of my essence because I want to show up fully as me. I want other women like me, like Boz, but we call her Badass Boz on Instagram. She works at Apple now. She has her beautiful, af- you know, her hair. She showed up so authentically that women like myself are like, we can show up authentically too. She has her nails done. She has her hoops on. We show up. I want to show up without sacrificing my essence. And if that means that for I need to bring that ignorance back up, I see what you're saying. I feel this energy, but I'm going to still move with knowing that. Just like my grandma would say, there's nothing that I cannot accomplish if I want it. It might not get there as quick, but I'm going to get there. And if you don't want to come with me, that's cool too. <laughs> uh, I mean, you, you have confidence, but I also hear this wisdom. There's, there's a lot of wisdom there, which which a lot of people in your stage of journey don't come to those realizations as quickly as you have, which is which is awesome. So tell us, I like to ask this question. You've been on this journey for now a couple of years, and you've obviously learned a lot and incorporated that learning into your life. But if you could go back to the pre-startup version of yourself, so maybe back when you were in advertising and still thinking about what, what the future was, and if this Asian Nay could go back and talk to that one, what advice would you give her? I feel like I'm like a little emotional because I'm like, I should take this advice now. <laughs> I would tell her two things. If I could go back and love on that person, I would tell her two things. One, just bet on yourself. What's the worst that could happen? Like, you might, you're not even going to be homeless. You can go back home to Africa (laughs) and go back to Nigeria if it doesn't work out. I would say bet on yourself, one. And two, I would tell her to stand in your truth and the world will make room for you. I just tell her, just, I would just keep telling her that. Stand in your truth and the world will make room for you. Just stand in your truth and the world will make room for you. If I were her, you would have you would have inspired me for sure. <laughs> That's great. As we look to close out, we always like to live a call to action to our audience on Foundation. What are the ways that we can be helpful to you or to Skin Muse? Two things that you can do for us, first of all, is find us on all our social media platforms, Instagram, most especially Twitter. We're just now experimenting with TikTok and follow it's s-k-n-m-u-s-e on all platforms that way you can get updated on things we're doing you know see our works also learn more about our social impact secondly when you're going on there purchase from us because that's how not only are you purchasing from us you're also sponsoring therapy sessions for black kids when you purchase from us you're also funding other small businesses because we 80% 80% of our resources actually come from small businesses right now. Well, you're also funding our lifestyle because because of you, that's our lifeline. So find us on social media, purchase from us. Oh, and for your platform, actually, when you do purchase from us, use code SKINMUSE and you can get a nice little 10% discount. All right. Now, now you got it. 
Now you got it. This has been an incredible conversation. I'm I'm so happy we had time together. Thank you so much for taking the time, isn't it? Thank you. Thank you for creating this platform. I think this is just amazing, the series that you're doing with people like myself. This is shining a light. So I like to I like to tell people what I think about them fully. I think that this is such a special space. I think that you make it extremely comfortable for us. I think that you are standing in a truth too and you're you're doing something so beautiful. So I hope that you are inspired as much as I am from these conversations. So thank you. We'd like to thank our guest, Ezene Iroanya, and our sponsor, Afroblocks. This podcast was produced by We Edit Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, or simply go to foundersunfound.com forward slash listen to, that's listen T-O, and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn at Founders Unfound. Thanks so much for tuning in. I am Dan Kihanya, and you've been listening to Founders Unfound.